Welcome to Lumion Live. I'm your host, Mark Ackroyd. Lumion Live is the podcast for advice professionals that believe in a values-based advice experience, but still have that question, how does it all work? We connect listeners with other advice professionals to hear best practice client stories or business examples and lift the lid on how they made it happen. Now, on to today's episode. Well, hello and welcome to another very special episode of Lumion Live. Today, I'm joined by Ross Marino. Now, Ross has a couple really awesome roles, which will explain why he's with us today um, on the podcast. He's founder and advisor at Transitus Wealth Partners, and he's also founder and CEO of Advisor 2X. Uh, who some of you may have heard because they're responsible for the shift conference that in the Lumion community we've been uh, advocating for so passionately since we went earlier this year. It is the conference for human first financial guidance, which is clearly important to us at Lumion. And uh, and now having Ross as part of the, the community and someone that we talk to often made a ton of sense to get him on and share his expertise from uh, both of his, his advisor standpoint and just ultimately from all the stories he's picked up along the way. Uh, so Ross, welcome. Thanks for thanks for coming on board today. Thank you, Mark. I've been looking forward to this and look forward to uh, chatting and uh, chopping it up with you. Yeah, totally, man. Totally. Well, Ross, you know, for those in our Lumion community who may have been living under a rock and don't know you, um, do you want to maybe give us a, a little bit of a, a brief bio and short story around how you got to where you were today working working uh, with Transitus and, and Advisor 2X? Sure. The short story is when I was in the ninth grade, I received a birthday present and it was a copy of Money Magazine. Now, you may think you must have been a geek. Um, well, I was a closet geek, but fascinated by business. And that actually was a present I got. In high school, I had a subscription to the magazine Psychology Today. So I had no idea that financial planning was the combination of money and psychology, how people think and feel. But I was fascinated by that early on. My first real job out of college was being a financial advisor. And of course, I say that loosely because it was dial the phone 500 times and hope somebody actually picks up and wants to talk to you, but eventually transitioned into financial planning, uh, became a certified financial planner. We we started Transitus Wealth Partners uh, along the way, also started Advisor 2X, which is designed to help advisors grow their practices, understand what's going on out there. And really, we just connect advisors with other advisors who are doing doing good work, other resources, different vendors and so forth that can really help them grow their practice and make a bigger impact in the world. Well, certainly we can we can advocate on the behalf of that. Um, you know, after going through Shift Conference with you guys and seeing the tons of like-minded people in the room talking about everything that they need to do to make their financial advice experience more human centric. Um, I can only tip the cap to you, sir, for, for everything that you're doing there. It's um, it's testament to to what you've built and and ultimately what your purpose is, and it shines through. So thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. And it was certainly exciting to be part of the first shift. You know, you create the idea, you come up with it, you you kind of break out like a syllabus of okay, here's what we're going to do, and you're incredibly excited. And and then you realize that well, there's actually no one who ever heard of it because it never happened. And you hope advisors are going to come. And well, obviously you need sponsors because advisors aren't going to pay two or three grand to come to an event. And then you realize that there's only four people that actually know what this idea is. And you got to get out there and get after it. But the the word spread, it was wonderful. It was a true grassroots 
grassroots effort where, uh, if you recall, on the first day, I asked how many people were there because somebody individually invited them, and almost every room in the hand or every hand in the room went up. Uh, because people found out about it and they just called their friends and said, you got to check this out. You know, this is what we do. We love this. So it was neat to find all those people out there that they're doing human first financial guidance. We didn't create that. We just brought everybody together and there's so many people doing great work. It was exciting to see. Yeah, I agree, Ross. And and I mean, let's stay on the word shift, right? Because I know that means so much to you. And I think it's a nice little, uh, nice little segue to what we actually are going to talk about today, which is one of your experiences that you you deliver through uh, Transitus Wealth. But shift isn't um, uh, a word that you use lightly, right? Um, tell us a, a little bit about when you talk about the shift conference and the term shift, what it is you mean and, and why you're so passionate about it. There's a presentation that I do called Shifting the Conversation, How to Answer Financial Questions Without Using Numbers. You see, as financial planners, we're classically trained to tell people what to do and how to do it. And when people approach us, most people are approaching us, whether they're prospects or an existing client, if they're reaching out to me or any financial planner, it's because something's going on. There's some event, there's some circumstance, there's something that prompted them where they were motivated enough to say, I need to speak with a financial planner. And when that happens, they're often going to have some financial question that usually is going to surround, well, what do I do? I'm going to retire. I know I've got to do a rollover. I'm thinking of that. What should I do? Or I'm going to inherit some money or I change jobs. They tend to be the what questions. But if you actually want to connect with people, you have to shift the conversation. And not that I'll ignore their question, but I have to get to what matters. So we have a process where we can shift the conversation where instead of me being the answer man and just answering what they're asking, but actually start asking them questions to dig a little bit deeper. And that's the foundation of the word shift. Yeah, I love that. And it, it certainly resonates with us, right? In in the way that we're trying to shift, you know, traditional advice experiences from that investment-led approach to a more human-led approach, whether that be through a well-being and values type conversation or just a, a really great human first goals type conversation. So um it's clear, hopefully, to our audience why we get along so well. But Ross, what I love about hearing you talking about shifting the conversation is it's not just the name of your conference. It's not just the name of your talk. You actually live and breathe this every day at Transitus Wealth Partners. So we're actually going to spend a bit of time in the podcast today talking a little bit about how you live and breathe that process. So um, you, you sort of talk it, talk about it as the Transitus process and how you help people through that. So why don't you give me uh, start me on the transitus journey? What what it is that you do there, and and how does this process work for you, and how do you live this? Sure, there's a four step process that we use. We follow it for anybody who calls in. I'll give you the spoiler alert up front. Most advisors do something similar. We just have a little twist on it, and we dig a little bit deeper. But it's going to be a similar process. So let me explain the four steps, and then I'll unpack each one. Basically, four questions. Number one is, what's going on? That's what prompted the call. Number two, how did you get here? It's the backstory. Whatever's going on in someone's life that prompted a call, there's always a story behind it. Number three, so what are you thinking? And number four, how are you feeling? And they're in a specific order. Those are the four questions. Let's unpack them. The first is, What's going on? 
whatever prompted them to call, that's what they have to talk about. An example would be somebody called a couple of weeks ago. I've known them for decades and they said, we've got to talk. Uh, and the lady just said, you know, I don't know what your process is, but let me tell you what's going on. And of course, I smiled thinking, well, that's actually our process because that's what's on her mind. And, and she had a major issue financial that she needed advice on. So that's what she has to talk about. She doesn't want to have me asking her random questions on, oh, so tell me about yourself. No, if you're actually reaching out to me, something's going on. And then she told me the situation it had to do with she was retiring and there was a deferred comp situation. We won't go into technicals. So the next question was, well, you know, what led up to this? And then there was a pause and she gave me the backstory. And we went back almost 30 years and she told me the error that she made. And that error was probably going to be seven figures at the end of the day. And she walked through, this is what she did and she didn't know. And she walked through it and she was very forthcoming about it. So by just asking how you get here, I could have said, well, here's deferred comp, here's the situation, here's the tax code. And, and here's someone that they screwed up in their mind, really, really bright person. So very upset that they actually made this error because this person knows better. We had to work through that. Once she shared all of this and in this conversation, this part of the conversation, it was probably a good 10 minutes. So when you ask somebody, how did you get here? They want to tell you the story because life didn't just happen randomly. There's something that led up to it. And once you get that out, then I can validate and say, well, that is a lot. Thank you for sharing that. It's certainly you know, it, some people would say, oh, I think this is TMI. And I'll always interrupt and say, actually, this is the kind of information I'm looking for. Thank you for sharing. Please continue. Right. Once we got through that, then I went to question three and question four. But here's the key. I asked these two questions together and I'll tell you why. So I'll segue by saying, well, in light of all that, you know, what are you thinking and how are you feeling now? And I put those two together. If I would just say, what are you thinking? The person is going to respond with financial related questions. Well, here's what I'm thinking. Could I do that? Maybe I could do that. Can we reduce taxes? What do I do with the money? We'd go into financial. But because I combine those two and say, so what are you thinking and how are you feeling? They will then launch into what they're feeling. In my experience, by doing this, prospects answer that question. 100% of the time. Clients answered 100% of the time, but they already know me. So they're okay. They know that I have this coffee mug that says, think, feel, do. You know, anybody watching a video, they, they know the gig. I'm going to ask you what you're thinking and how you're feeling before we talk about what to do. A prospect may not know this. They're going to tell me anyway. If I would just ask how you're feeling up front, well, they don't know me. So they're, they're not going to share that up front. But by going through the process, what's going on? How did you get here? And then combining. So what are you thinking and how are you feeling now? Then they're able to share. And now I'm in a position to actually help them because I know what they're worried about, what they're concerned about, what they're looking forward to. Whatever is driving the decision, which is going to be an emotion at the core, it comes out then. And by following that four-step process, we're able to dive deep in, in the first call or first Zoom meeting with the person. Yeah, so there's so much that we can we can unpack there, and in fact, we will. Uh, let's go back to the the, the start of the the four step process, being you know what's going on and how did you get here. Um, firstly, what I love about the entire thing is it's so simple, but you know, it needs really great execution and conviction. So here, here's where my question lies, Ross. 
One of the challenges we often feel when we're coaching uh, advisors using Lumiant um, around, you know, going down a values or well-being conversation is addressing that. We, we like to call it the boulder on someone's shoulder, you know, that initial reason to call and trying to find that balance between, yeah, yeah, we can solve that, but also we want to have a deeper conversation over here, which one to do first, how how potentially you acknowledge the boulder but go down the conversation anyway. It seems to me your process sort of cuts through that pretty quickly because it's less about, oh, I want to talk to you about these other things. It's more about, well, let's sit and talk about the problem that you've come in with and and tell me more about that. Like, do you ever feel that conflict that I'm sort of talking about? Ever present. And yeah. it is a conflict because this is something that's really on their mind. But the conflict isn't as much in their mind and in their actions as it is in mine. Here's what I mean by that. They're asking this question. There's a prompt. There's a situation that's going on, but they don't really know how to address it. So wherever I'm going to go with it, they're going to be okay nine times out of 10. The conflict is with me internally because when they ask a specific question, and in this case, it was deferred comp, here's a situation. I happen to know the rules and regs. I have to bite my tongue, literally because I know the answer to that question. I know what's going on. And I also, just in this situation, when this lady shared this, I knew how to address it and also how to reframe it. So it wasn't as catastrophic as she was thinking. So she was thinking, here's what it cost me. And my brain saying, actually, I can break this down. That's not accurate. It's not anywhere near as bad as you thought it was. Here's what it is. And I have to bite my tongue, Mark, because we're not ready to go into Mr. Solution Fix-It problem-solving mode. That's where the conflict comes in. It is instinctive for me and for most people to want to help, to want to fix it. They say, Ross, I have a problem. I'm like, Thank you for calling. I have a solution. We'd love that stuff. But I have to resist the urge to answer the questions because they're not in a position yet to really process what to do. So I, I listen to them. I say we're going to address that. I, I validate that that is very serious. And then I say, well, you know, could you help me understand what, what got you to this point and give me some backstory on it? And they tell me 100% of the time. And then they talk more during that time, Mark, than any other time. So yes, you feel that tension, but it's really not from them. It's from me because I want to answer and I want to help out. And that's why we're financial planners, right? We totally. love this stuff, right? This is what I can do, but I have to resist that urge. Yeah, and I mean, you want to you want to show that you're valid, you're relevant. You want to you, you know that you've got this time trusted process that you, you've invested in. I, I just want to get to that as quickly as possible. It's a it's a great reflection that it is largely internal conflict. So you you take them down that storytelling path, right? Tell me how you got here. What ways have you found that you need to maybe prompt people with question two, three, if they're not quite great storytellers about that? Uh, that is such a great question. I would have answered it differently early on, but now that we've done this so much, here's what I can say. All I have to do is prompt. Everybody wants the invitation to tell their story. Now, it has to be in genuine curiosity. It has to be out of love. You can't have the tone of voice of, well, how'd you get yourself in this pickle, right? That, that That's not going to work. Or I'm not going to roll my eyes and say, oh, that's a, yeah, that's a terrible mistake. That's going to cost you a fortune. I mean, how'd you get to this point, right? So there's plenty of ways for me to mess that up. 
But when you ask, and it's got to be genuine with curiosity of, you know, could you give me the backstory? They, they'll feel that it's not a judgmental approach. So that's all you have to do is just ask the question and give them the opportunity to talk. They're, they're going to talk, or at least in my experience, nobody's ever just said, oh, well, it just kind of happened, made a couple decisions, but here I am. Said by no one ever, right? Everybody has given me the backstory. And it's, it's fascinating. You get a lot of information out of it that I don't know any other way to draw that out just like that in the snap of a finger. Yeah, and you, you mentioned the non-judgmental environment is super important. I, I think that's a, a key in particular. You know, you mentioned you use this uh, process on prospects, right? So we always hear that, you know, there's this nerve with prospects around, you know, I, I, I need to be this character or persona that looks like I've got my finances in order. Otherwise, the main financial advisor is going to tell me I've done it wrong or I should have been invested over here. How do you create that non-judgmental environment within your process? Is it through your body language, your tone? Are there other things that you do? Or is it simply just in the question that you ask? Yeah, I think it's wonderful. I, I a wonderful question. I'm not sure how to answer it because I'm not intentional about it, but I'm just naturally curious. So, you, you know, my my kids used to ask me, you know, you're doing interviews and recordings and podcasts. What do you do when you go to work, daddy? I said, well, I'm like a big four-year-old. I just ask why. Because I just keep asking questions. And I, even when my kids were younger, they would last say, well, of course you do. Because um, the joke in my house is by the time my kids became teenagers, they all of a sudden realized that daddy may not be real bright because I don't think he's ever answered a question. Because no matter what they ask, I just ask a question back. So, yeah, that's the joke. <laughs> I'm not sure if my dad's smart because he never really knows how to answer a question. But I, I just do that. It's it's genuine. I really do want to know. So if you really want to know the backstory, and it's not just some setup of, well, tell me how you got here while you're taking notes, people are going to pick up on that. But you have to really care. And I think the way you learn to care is understanding that when you ask that question, they are going to give you the information that you really want to know. They're going to share what went on. They're going to tell you about experiences in life, decisions they made, situations that are driving their decisions. I don't know how else to get that up front. But when I ask them what the backstory is, the amount of notes, I just start typing away, the amount of notes that I take, it sometimes shocks me that people, they, they just lay it out. They just lay, they go into stuff, they just flat out lay it out. So if you genuinely care and you give them that opportunity, they're going to share which is excellent. So you're you're learning past decisions, past environments they've been in. What's the information that you take most interest in? Is it those things that like tell me more about the notes that you're taking and the information you're taking out of that question and therefore how you're thinking about using it. It's going to be the financial flashpoints or events and then the lessons learned from that. So flashpoints could be when they were growing up, this happened. Uh, just just this recently with the prospect of, were there any events in your life as we went into how'd you get here that you think really shaped you? So I had to prompt a little bit more in that one. Is there any experiences? And one said, oh yes, when we were first married, I bought a bunch of uh, furniture on credit because my grandfather always gave me X amount of dollars every year. And I paid the payments with that until my grandfather stopped giving me the extra money. And there was the shock of, I'm never financing anything again, right? And she, and this lady said, I had to go to my grandfather, explain to him that I did this, how I messed up. It was a great lesson. So that was the wife. And then the husband gave another story that also related to debt and so forth. These were powerful stories for them, 
but it also told me why this family wants to be debt-free. It doesn't matter if the interest rate is really low, they're going to have a strong drive to be debt-free. Not Dave Ramsey, don't save a penny till you're completely debt-free, but not that far off. But I wouldn't have known that until they told me these stories. So I'm not going to have a conversation about, well, you know, if your debt only is costing you 3% and you can make 6 or 9%, isn't this great? Because for these people, it's not great because they're not doing that again. So you wanna look for these flashpoints, these money memories that are so ingrained in them that it actually drives their decision-making process. And when you ask, how did you get there? That stuff often comes out, or you might have to tease it out a little bit more, but people will share it if you ask. Yeah, and the other word you used maybe a couple of questions ago that I'm intrigued about in, in, in this step of the process is you mentioned for this client, you had to reframe some things for for them um so they obviously didn't feel they'd made a seven figure bad decision how how do you do that reframing and how often do you think you're doing that at this point in the process yeah the reframing is eventually going to come once they're able to share here's what i did here's how i felt they have to tell somebody, right? Because this is something that they're not going to tell their neighbor or their friend, because frankly, it's embarrassing, right? So part of the reframing is, well, you're human. These things happen. We're all making decisions based on the information that we have. Sometimes I'll do self-deprecating humor in there saying, I've got my own stories and no, I will never share them because I'm a financial planner. But uh, this is the judgment-free zone. Trust me on that one, right? And everybody laughs. Like, yeah, we 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 all do it. But most decisions, here's where you start with, we make the decision at a time when it seemed rational. Nobody says, this is completely irrational, but I'm doing it anyway. Or nobody rational would say that, right? <laughs> but, but people are often going to be thinking, uh, this makes sense. So you're making decisions based on available information, where you are in life, it seemed rational at the time. Later in life, things may have changed. So there's, there's no way to play it out. The way we're going to reframe it is we're going to look at where you're at right now and how this could play out over 5, 10, 20 years in the future. Because when, when you look at just what is happening today, all you're going to look at is some numbers of this cost me this much in tax, or I couldn't do X, Y, Z because of that. Okay. So maybe today we can quantify that, or there's a decision today that you weren't allowed to make because of a past decision, but let's play this out 5, 10, 15, 20 years in the future. Here's other ways this could play out. And once they start seeing that uh, yeah, there, there's no way to say, here's exactly how this is going to play out. They tend to relax a little bit of, okay, let's just figure this out. So the reframing is it's not the end of the world. It's not as catastrophic as we thought it was uh, because our brain often goes there. Let's just think about it, assess the situation, and we'll make the best of what we have. And how important do you think that reframing is for the end client's experience in your conversation? Like when you do that for them, what do you observe of their behavior or I guess commitment to your process? It's so easy for advisors to answer questions in a way that says you made an error and I can help fix it for you. That's not healthy. People don't want to hear that they made errors. We make enough of them anyway. What they want when they come to advisors is to hear that there's hope, that we can make decisions and in the future, things can get better. So what we're trying to do is, is not pick apart the past because no matter how you do it, and here's one way I'll explain it, um, there's probably really good, reasonable decisions you made in the past that just didn't work out. 
do you have any of those? And the clients will say, oh, sure, there's some decisions we made. Absolutely the right thing to do did not work out. Um, Or did you ever make a decision that probably wasn't the best decision in the world, but it worked out anyway? You see, that's life. So we don't know how things are always going to play out. We're making the best decisions we can at the time. That's what everybody does. So I'm just affirming that, uh, who was it? Richard Thaler said, people aren't stupid. Life is hard, right? That That's the reality. People aren't stupid. It's Life is hard. So just affirming that, yeah, you're making the best decision you can. And here we are today. Let's think through it. Let's just make the best decisions we can. So it, it allows them to accept who they are, to not feel judged by, to not feel like, hey, I got all this knowledge. And if you had my knowledge, you wouldn't have made that decision because, you know, I'm the answer man, right? We don't want that environment at all. So this way we can actually just say, here's where we are. You've done well. No matter how their path led up to the point where they called me, I am going to find reasons to tell them they've done a good job. You know, you've done really well controlling debt. A lot of people let the debt get away from them. You've done a really good job doing that. I see that you pay your cars off. And you drive them forever. That is, that's hard to do. People love the new car smell, but you've done that. You've done a really good job with that. I see that you've put money away for your kids' college. So many people wish they put away a lot of money, but they don't get to. Everybody's made good decisions. They've done good things. Find them, focus on them, encourage the people that, yeah, you made good decisions. Now let's make some decisions for the future as well. Much different environment that, hey, I'll, I'll help you because, well, you don't know what you're doing. Yeah, it's a, it's a long way from the old... Um, and I'm gonna I'm gonna call it sales methodology of disturb then solve, right? Um, which you know may have it may have a place and it's not a knock on it, but um it's a real change from that power over type relationship that advice is probably coming from where I've got all the answers in the room to probably that more and I would say within your human first community and the community we share together it's probably more moving towards that power power neutral or power under approach from the advisor where they're going, okay, let me lift you up with my expertise, not bring you down based on me knowing stuff more than you. Um, it's a it's a really cool reflection on it, Ross, um, and I think it's symbolic of, of the movement we're both trying to solve for. And I think it also contrasts the word advice versus guidance. Mm. We came up with shift. Uh, I love the word because it's a verb, it's a noun. I won't go off on that, but I thought that that's <laughs> that's what's going on within the industry. But what what really is the shift? What are we shifting from? What are we shifting to? We're shifting from advice, which is where I explain, here's what you need to do and here's how you do it. We're shifting from advice to guidance, where I'm helping you go down your path what's appropriate for you, what Lumion does with their questions and the assessments. It's to find out who you are and what's up with you. And if you actually wrap that together, we're now going human first. And what that means is before I go into portfolio management or financial planning, or I try to make any decisions, I have to connect and understand with you as a human first. It doesn't diminish the importance of anything else we're doing. On the contrary, it actually makes it more powerful than anything we've ever done in the past. Because now it's not come to me and I'll tell you which portfolio I think is appropriate, or let's go through financial planning and I'll tell you what looks best on paper, but let's figure out what works for you. That's like human assisted or adding the human aspect afterwards. No, we're actually starting with human first. And I'll give you a a quick story that blew my mind. And this was from a short while ago. 
it was a prospective client that would have been, in my world, my second highest revenue client. So numbers don't matter. I've been doing this for over 30 years. This was pretty far up the food chain for me, well over our normal average size client. We have our first meeting, this person to talk to three different advisors. And at the end of the meeting, they said, okay, well, what would be our next steps? I said, well, I'd, you know, I, I want to make sure I, I understand where you're coming from and get to know you a little better. So I have an assessment that I want to send out to you. And uh, if both of you, the husband and wife would complete that, we'll set a follow-up appointment for that. And the guy leans into the camera, it's dead silence, tilts his head and said, says, how long is this assessment going to take? And I looked up and said, I don't know, if you think about the answers, which I hope you do, five to seven minutes. He threw his head back and his wife starts shaking her head like left to right. And he throws his head back and said, you wouldn't believe what these other advisors sent to me. They sent me these questionnaires. They're asking for statements. I don't even know where these statements are. I don't know how to find this information. And this is everything I have to send to them just before I talk to them. I'm like, oh, all that stuff's important. We'll ask for that later. But I don't need to know that now. He's like, well, don't you want to know that stuff? I'm like, well, you told me how much money you have in your net worth. So yeah, you qualify. You're over my minimum, right? Everybody laughs. I'm like, we're good. I said, but I, I need to know you. I, I need to know your wife. We have to talk about this. They were so happy. They're like, great, send us out your assessments. Now, we haven't finished the process yet, but that is an example of showing how shifting the conversation is so different than what's going on out there. We have set the bar so high as financial planners of, I need every piece of data because if I'm missing one piece, the plan won't be as good as I think it could be. So we put this bar real high. It's a struggle for people to do that. It's not that I'm not going to ask for all that data. We're going to ask for the same stuff. But first, let's have a conversation and find out what really matters to you, what you're thinking, how you're feeling, and what you're going to do with this big life-changing money that's coming into your world. Much different perspective. And just to hear them say that and see the reaction, I thought, we are so early in this world. The shift to human-first financial guidance using Lumiant or some type of process to shift the conversation, we are so early. But it's where the industry is going because that's what people crave. Amazing, Ross. It's a really good segue into probably the last two steps of your process we haven't spent a bit of time on, which is the what are you thinking and how are you feeling? Because they're, they're truly shifting type questions. Um, it might be that client or another client, but one of the things I'd love for you to share or reflect on is because they're shifting type questions and potentially questions clients don't expect you to, to ask, have you ever had any experiences where you've had to sort of explain why that's important and maybe coax the client to go back down those paths again and go, your feelings are important? Like this isn't just a therapy thing where I get you on the couch, like we're going to use this information. Yeah, it's a good question. So combining what you're thinking and how you're feeling is what I think avoids that. If if I just asked you as a prospect, how are you feeling? That's going to be uncomfortable up front because I'm the financial planner. I'm a money guy. Now, my current clients, if I ask them how they're feeling, they're going to answer because we've already had 50 meetings, right? They've been clients for years. That's not a big deal. We have a relationship. So I, I have the, the um, invitation to do that. That's okay. I've earned that level of, of trust with them. But with prospects, I have to combine it. I don't just dive into how are you feeling? I put it together. What are you thinking and how are you feeling? And here's what happens, Mark. 
they will take, and we'll just take an example. Well, I'm retiring and you know, I'm thinking of rolling over. And I was thinking about if I leave it in a plan, here's what's going on. If I roll it over, here's what's planned. They'll start going over some financial considerations and they'll mention some tax things. But when they go into how they're feeling, now you know where, but I'm really not comfortable leaving it with the company because I haven't had a good experience with them and I didn't really like the interact. Now they're going to tell you what they feel around those decisions. That's why you have to combine them together. If someone just says what they're thinking, I'm still going to follow up. So if they don't automatically go into how they're feeling, which happens sometimes, I can say, well, yep, those are a lot of different options there and considerations. Uh, any particular path that you feel strongly about? There's a million ways to say this, right? But the question is, is can I follow up with then say, how are you feeling? If they've told me what they're thinking, it's going to be easier for them to go into how they're feeling and we're going to get there. But the, this is the other reason I don't do the feeling up front. When they tell me their backstory, they are reliving and feeling. I mean, it's palpable. You can see the people talking and feeling and the, the excitement or, or the frustration or the hurt. It's all coming out. When I go into what are you thinking and how are you feeling, when they describe what they're thinking and their decisions, you can sense it. You can see it in their face. You can hear it in their tone of voice. You see it in their body language. So those feelings are going to come out. So when you follow up with say, well, you know, do you feel strongly one way or the other? How do you feel about this? They're going to tell you because they literally just experienced it. But if I did it up front, it may be harder for them to do that because they're still up in their head of here's what I need to do. Here's how I need to do it. So eventually you can get there. That's awesome. Um uh, so it's it's so nuanced, but so important, right? To ask the two questions together, but also sequentially after someone's already told you their story, because you've got them in that that mood. You know, we often speak about this with our our life assessment across the eight dimensions of well being before the values uh, session, where you ask your, your, your questions because it gets them out of that headspace of oh, I just need to talk to this guy about, or a girl, you know, about numbers, right? Um, because they they turn up with this persona and this thought of, of what's going to happen. Um, what you just explained to me is a really good connection of the logical brain to the emotional brain, which is super, super important for a number of reasons. Why is that connection between logic and emotion super important to you and your process and what you're building? The foundation of every decision is an emotion. That's what starts it. However, many people don't believe that's the case. They think that they are just making these objective decisions and they're doing analysis. There was a, a study, and I can't remember, came out about six months ago, but it was asking higher net worth people if they made any financial decisions that were influenced by emotion. And like 64% said yes. I burst out laughing. It was the same day I was interviewing Ed Combs, who's the current uh, president of the Financial Therapy Association. He had read it as well. And we ended up doing a, a podcast and you want to do it in the right spirit, but we can't help but laugh. So yes, 64% said, yes, I believe influ it has influenced some of my decisions. Maybe not all, but for that other third that's kind of funny as a financial planner that people don't think the emotions are involved at all. So, so it really is foundational. And we know that because we learn that's the basis of all emotions. And some people may say, well, no, I just want to make a, you know, this based on the numbers. Well, you have to walk them through it because the reason they're analyzing the numbers is because they felt something. 
There, there's something that brought them to that point. So we have to start with the beginning of all emotions are, or the beginning of all decisions are actually driven by emotion. And once you understand that as a fiduciary, I have to get to the core because I know that's what's driving what's going on here. Yeah, that's um, that's a cracking example, Ross. You know, um, often we hear, uh, you know, high net worth, they, they just want to, you know, they don't necessarily want to get into their emotions. They don't want to get into their feelings. It's, it's, it's you know, it's largely BS at the end of the day, if, if I can be so crass. You know, you've got to give your clients or prospects the opportunity to feel that way because every stat will tell you under the sun that emotions underpinning decision-making regardless of net worth. Um, so you, you can't you can't segment your clients based on that. R- Ross, th- this whole process is beautiful to talk about. What I'd love to learn um, now is how do you play what you learn about your clients or prospects in this process? How do you play that back when you give them your end advice or your end financial plan? Like, how do you make all of that stuff relevant to them when you when you end up implementing a solution? I'm always, if I understand your question correctly, I'm always going to try to pull out a few different guiding principles. It may come from an assessment or it came from a financial flashpoint, but there has to be some value to them that I'm going to repeat as we're talking through things and making decisions. I remember hearing from a coach years ago who used to work for Corning. And he said that every time the CEO would be talking, he would preempt whatever he was going to say with, consistent with our value of X, we are going to do Y. And that was that was just the way it was. That was the mantra where he needed to repeat that. I have some mantras in the financial planning practice that I'm always repeating to people. And if they give me those values, such as I don't want to ever be in trouble with debt anymore, then I'm going to repeat that and I'm going to use that decision-making process. There's something that is always driving their decisions. I want to make sure that once I tap into that, I'm able to communicate that back to them because whatever was the driver, it's not a one-off thing. It's really the core of what that value is. So I just want to infuse it into the conversations. And if I'm not sure, because that could happen sometimes, I'm just going to use our mission statement because it seems to resonate with everyone. The mission we use for Transitus Wealth is our mission is to help people worry less about what could go wrong so they can focus more on what to get right. That's me. That's you. That's everybody. Because we instinctively worry. That's part of our negativity bias, right? That's part of evolutionary biology. This is what we have to do. We're going to be geared towards the risks of the world out there. So what does everybody want to do that I've ever met? They want to worry less. But you can't just stop there. Why do you want to worry less? So that you can focus more on what to get right. I keep bringing that back into conversations with clients, with prospects, even if they're not completely in touch with what's driving their decisions, that resonates with everybody. Really helpful for making decisions. Uh, that's that's lovely, Ross. It's a it's a great way to sum up everything that you're doing at Transitus and Advisor 2X. Um, before we wrap up your episode today, like we do with, with all our um, financial industry experts, we'd love to, to get your a bit more of an insight into you and who you are. And we do that through uh, playing our Lumion values game here. I've now got up the 16 value statements that we work through with clients. I'm sure the Lumion community, as as myself, is uh, are wondering what it is that might be your top value and why is that important to you? 
Well, first I got to say these cards are brilliant. I love this. I think back 10 years ago, a little less than 10, when I was trying to shift the conversation and come up with ways to do that, or I could just look at 16 value cards. Thanks. <laughs> Way better. But th- this is what drives people. And, and this is, and I won't fly off on the tangent, I promise. <laughs> this is what I'm looking for when I'm asking questions. These are the drivers that are out there. These are the ones that are going to influence their decisions. So I can offer guidance, not advice. When I know this, what you have up on the screen, I can guide people because it's what matters to them. Advice is, well, here's what you do with your portfolio. It's a whole, whole different world. Um, I look at this one, a few of them jump out at me, but the one that it's no question in my mind, it's help others live a more purposeful life. To me, whether it's as a father, a husband, a friend, a business owner, a financial planner with clients, the long game, the marathon, the only way I think you can stay in it is to recognize that what I'm doing is for their benefit. Because stuff to me is going to fade. What is important to me may not be important 10 years now as much as it is today. Anything that I do for myself. But when you realize that you're able to make an impact in somebody's life where they can live a more purposeful life, that's the fuel that helps you run a marathon, not just a sprint. So that that's the card I love. Ross, I, I personally can see that in everything that you do. I'm sure the Illumian community has seen it. I, I want to say thank you so much for sharing that. It's a great... Um, I guess, visual of what purpose is all about, right? You know, life is a series of sprints, but purpose is all about combining all of those into the end game, which which in your terms is a marathon, which I, I really love. R- Ross, I want to say thank you on behalf of the community for sharing your expertise and insight today and taking us into the, the window of Transitus Wealth Partners and sharing your process uh, and your experience around the four steps of What's going on? How did you get here? What are you thinking and how are you feeling combined? Um, It's so nice to be able to get to an episode and sum it up so simply, but as people have listened to it, they know there's art to this and and thank you so much for sharing your art to it because what that is is truly human. Um, Ross, on behalf of the community, I just want to reiterate again, thank you for spending your time with us today, mate. We, We really appreciate it. My pleasure. Always an honor to be on a show like this and be able to share. So thank you for what you're doing. Thanks to Lumian. Love the work you guys are doing. Thanks, Ross. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Lumian Live. If you really enjoyed it, we'd love if you could hit that subscribe button on your favorite podcast provider so you don't miss out on any of our upcoming episodes. Thanks again for tuning in.